I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hi, Megan. Hey, Tyler. We're back at it again. We're back at it. And I think we got another Dwight heavy episode for you. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> Are you backing down from your love for Dwight? I, I last love- time you really came around to Michael, it felt like there was a changing of the teams. And uh, I kind of want to see how you're feeling about that. Well, this episode has a level of zaniness to it that Ooh. I don't know how much I, you know, how much I love. Although I like zany things, but... Anyway, there's a sweet spot for me between like Dwight and like, I don't know, emotional realism or something. And this one mm-hmm. is just on the line. So, but there's a lot I'm I'm excited to talk about. Hey, quick question for you. I was thinking about this as, as I was re-listening to our last episode. Why did we call it the great American story? Like our podcast? Why? why how did you come up with that? Did, because it is. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. But, no, but you know how people say like something is the great American novel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this I couldn't say novel, but I feel like the great American story, because I think it is that great. I feel like you know they attribute that to things that have this kind of massive cultural relevance to them. Um, it says something about the nation. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. Uh, kind of operating on that level it also has captured the heart of america so i think it's i True. think it's working on a lot of levels and i i think it's it's one of those phrases that people start to use sort of sarcastically almost do you know what i mean like the great american novel like there's yes, some skepticism yes. about that term but i am claiming it with no skepticism about this show i love it every time we say it i'm like yeah this feels right to me and <laughs> But it got me thinking this past week on kind of like, wait, what what are the great American stories or what are the, mm, what are the things question. about the office that make it speak to the American experience or something like that? So anyway, uh, yeah. yeah, something that maybe we'll come back to. Yeah. Uh, to think about. I also am there. I have questions and thoughts for you about this episode. But it occurred to me, like, oh, my God, what if I asked you these questions in, like, season one, episode four or something like that? So I've started to think we need, like, a audience archivist or something, like, somebody <laughs> to write in and tell us, like, no, you did talk about this already or something. I mean, Corey has been yeah. kind of informally doing that for me over text. But anyway. That, yeah, that would be helpful. There are some things too that we talk about. And then later I'm like, wait, I feel like we had that exact conversation once before, but it's all so spread out over time that it's only right. the people who kind of discover it and then binge it. Binge. It's amazing that anyone does that, but I hear that it's happened. Um, but in the listening to it back to back, I feel like that you would really notice more, but yeah, they've just been so spread out. I can't, I can't remember that stuff. I'm just shocked that anybody listens to this and it makes me <laughs> so happy. Um, uh, do you have, well, should we start with revisions and regrets? And also I'm, it's occurring to me, we have accounts payable and we have uh, the receptionist corner, but the revisions and regrets, does it take place in a particular space in the office? Like should revisions and regrets be at that bar that they go to or. Um, Isn't revisions and regrets accounts? 
Oh, maybe you're right. Oh, that's right. You're right. This, okay. was, your, this was your brilliant idea. And actually, I was thinking time. about it a little more. That for revisions and regrets, you know, you walk over into the accounting corner and it's perfect that Angela is the head of that yeah. department, you know, because if we are um, apologizing for things that we've done wrong, if we are catching our errors, if we are filling in our omissions and the lines that we failed to fill out in our ledgers or whatever they are, um, Angela is the person who would have an eye on that. So, so yeah, I think we handled that with accounting. Uh, well, do you have any revisions and regrets for Angela's review? You know what? I actually just want to follow up on a text that you sent me after we recorded last time saying that you had a revision in that. Because I feel like I uh, I am always coming out with those things. And yeah, so so you texted me like right afterward, things that you should have addressed more fully. And I agree, you should have. So would you care to follow up <laughs> about okay, Ed? So the, the first Ed thing is, I, I well, re-listening to our episode, I remember thinking, wait, no, Megan did make this argument. So it was there, but I was like, I really think we should have, or I should have been like, I should have thought more about this, but the ways in which by the end of the episode, uh, the grief counseling episode, Ed's, Ed becomes completely forgotten. And like mm -hmm. his, his death is entirely displaced by every, well, first by like Michael's own kind of selfish or self-interested um, grieving process. And yeah. so it was making me think, oh, you know, maybe Michael hasn't learned something and it's just pure narcissism all over again, even though uh, it it seems like he's moving towards something like empathy, I thought, or or creating space for discourse around uh -huh. loss. Um, but then also, like I, like, I don't even think Ed gets mentioned or something. So I kept thinking about how the bird is this, like, he's, he's, or the hmm. bird, well, I don't know the gender of the bird. Do we know if the, the bird is a he or she or they or other? Hmm. Anyway, I'll just say how the bird. Pam, how did Pam refer to the bird? I feel like Dwight is the only person who could tell the sex of a bird. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that he could tell. But um, I can't remember if Pam uses pronouns for this bird or not. <laughs> Well, forgive me if it. I've gotten them wrong, but the bird, uh, the bird sort of is like, a, is it a metaphor or a metonym for, I guess a metaphor for, for, uh, for just like the loss in the office or whatever. And, hmm. and it becomes symbolic for Michael of a grieving pro, but it stands in like it, it, the bird more stands in for Michael, Michael's future death. Than it does for um, yeah, uh, Ed's right. Mm. I guess in yeah. a way it's a meta, it's metonymic for the office because it hit the office, and it, and the way that Pam narrates the death, it's like the whole thing is like it wanted to get into our office and be a part of us, and so mm. it, you know, it kind of is a part for the whole of the of the office itself. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, but anyway, the point is that it in no way is really linked to Ed, um, <laughs> except metaphorically, and Ed is just completely erased. And But maybe that was the point of the episode. I don't know. I just felt like there was more to unpack there. But then the other point that you made, 
on the podcast as I was re-listening to, and this I thought was so powerful and provocative, and we didn't explore <laughs> it, is that our entire knowledge of Ed's death is basically mediated by creed. <laughs> Jan is the one who says we've lost Ed. Yeah. But creed is the one who elaborates the means by which we've lost creed and that or by ed and that and that yeah. seems a big part of what sets michael off so it felt to me like i had failed in not really <laughs> following that thread of like yeah what if like what if everything we know about ed is actually a reflection of creed or creed's like yeah. fantasy or I, I don't know man something about that seemed really interesting mm. to me so that's one of the things that's striking as you kind of say that back and put it next to Jan's statement, we lost Ed, is the question of how you talk about death and what kind of language you use for it and what kinds of euphemisms you use to kind of not say directly the thing, which is where initially she says we've lost Ed, meaning he's died, but not explicitly saying he's died so that Michael thinks, oh, let me look up his cell phone number and see if I've got it. And Creed then goes the opposite direction to give this graphic description of death by decapitation that is not uh, delicate at all about the subject. Right, right, right. Yeah, but Creed is full of shit. So I feel like Ed may have just had a heart attack or like there may have been something much less dramatic and much less gruesome and just a more normal death. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which would be, it would be interesting how that would or would not change Michael's uh, existential panic. Yeah. Um, And maybe it doesn't. Unless the story was, I mean, I guess, like with that story, Ed is alone. Like that's one of the things is that he is positioned alone. But in some ways, isn't there some philosophy about how, you know, you always, you you can only die alone. Like there's, there's a thing, there's no way yeah. to not die in isolation of a kind. And uh, so I, I feel like it's, it's possible regardless of the type of death. Yeah. Who is it that says like, nobody can experience your death for you or something? I don't Somebody know. Says something like some that, right? Guy, some, <laughs> some guy. Just some guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's actually been reassuring me lately is like, thinking about how like you know i don't know a lot of the stuff that we take to be in like important and profound or whatever is to like just written by some guy (laughs) (laughs) or some or some woman too not to you know but we have talked about guy as a as a complicated um we have term and nonetheless i know i will i will revise and regret that comment later but for now no you know i've made strong arguments for guy to be an all-encompassing and gender inclusive term I know. Um, okay, so uh, let's stroll on over to the receptionist corner. Yes. And wow. I think maybe you should read the email this okay. time. Because it's okay. been me exclusively, and our listeners might want might want <laughs> me to shut up. Uh, and, I'm, and I feel you. But I will just say, before I... I'm going to post it in the chat so you can okay. have access. But I will say that I... This is actually like a partly my revision and regret. So this email came in on January 22nd at 8.46 p.m. But I missed it in our last episode. And the reason is because 
our Gmail account had defaulted to some weird thing uh -huh. and it marked this email as promotional. <laughs> yeah. And so as I was like trying to fix the layout of the inbox, this popped up. So this is my bad. I I I I regret um not mentioning it earlier, but uh here we go. Okay, here we go. So it looks like this is a message from our old friend Teal. Let's see what Teal's got to say. Hi. I like that Pam's corner is now just you reading my emails every episode. Here is a stream of consciousness. <laughs> Thank you. I would be a fabulous guest. I have been a guest in Megan's class, so I guess that's good enough. Is that true? Was that Teal a guest? True. That, that is true. Teal has been a guest in my class, and I'm glad she thinks it's good enough because we've discussed our guest policy on this podcast. How do I get to be a guest in your class? What, what do I got to do? You can be a guest in my class? every I'm like checking my phone every day waiting for the invite okay well we're going to schedule that as soon as we end this call um you will be coming weekly and occupying a significant amount of time so I'm glad we've got that in the books okay um haha you can feel free to psychoanalyze me I love this I feel like a guest already <laughs> wait there should be a soundtrack to sports games that's a great idea kind of like little league baseball does Little League Baseball have soundtrack? That is a question I would like answered. Yeah. If so, I will become a fan. And, Little uh, League Baseball and music. Hold on. I just want to see. <laughs> Let's see what the first Google hit is. All right. Yeah. You let uh, us know what your research tells us. No. Well, there's a song called Clean Baseball by Vanessa Sperry on Apple Music. That's the first thing that came up. Hmm. I don't know what she's talking about. So interesting more info yeah we'll need yeah. more info. another topic no way we can really see the stream of consciousness when i'm here no way i also make stovetop popcorn because my dad always made a stove pop stovetop popcorn as a family snack the psychoanalysis part of this is that it makes you feel nostalgic and cozy because it reminds you of your childhood handmaid's tale is so upsetting and also a show i constantly wish i could discuss with megan ha ha did you I admit that I have not watched that? I didn't know. You, so you haven't watched it? I and, have not. It and, seems like I should have. Everyone told me to. Is it like a choice? Like a conscious choice? Or, you're, or is it like, I just haven't gotten around to it? Not a conscious choice, like a conscientious objection or something. Just, I don't know. It doesn't super appeal. I think it's the costumes. I think I'm a little put off. It feels... Um, <laughs> Like, I hated reading in high school Scarlet Letter, and I think it just feels too of that vibe, and I, uh, I just cut myself off from that entire, entire uh, world of TV and literature. So you don't like feminism, is sort of what you're saying. You, you, you... Well... <laughs> <laughs> don't try to cancel me, Tyler. Yeah, I'm coming. Just because I didn't see The Handmaid's Tale. It's not the only measure of feminism. <laughs> I can't watch it because I find it too upsetting. I'm like, really? oh. yeah. <laughs> well, <sighs> we'll find out. Moving on to other feminist topics. Teal says, I would say that Liz Claiborne definitely signifies as more mature, expensive, professional wear. Like I, as a 26-year-old therapist, would never purchase or choose to wear Liz Claiborne. 
to work unless it's for an interview and my aunt buys it for me. <laughs> okay, so Teal does not have a lot of Claiborne's in her closet. Hope you enjoyed that. I love that I get to be a guest by email. Honestly, it's probably less cringe this way. You are the best. I get so excited when I get a, to see a new episode come out. Teal. Thank you, Teal. Oh, thank you, Teal. I love that. Just just one criticism. I, I would have loved to have seen you refer to it as Claiborne or Claiborne's <laughs> rather than the full Liz Claiborne. I think that yeah. you know, I want that Dwight effect. The Dwight effect, yeah. But I also <laughs> about, I'm curious about Teal's aunt. Is Teal's aunt <laughs> buying like interview wear or clothes? <laughs> I don't know. Let's get Teal's aunt involved in the pod. Yeah, yeah. let's have her right in. <laughs> All right. You know, I have one other item that is related to the receptionist's corner. Okay. And that is a follow-up from Eric, who wrote in last time about pens. Nice. And I tried out. So Eric was writing about trying what we have recommended, the the Pilot Precise V5 Extra Fine. I guess, well, I guess this is sort of receptionist corner. It's also sort of supply shelf or whatever other segment this is about office supplies. Supply shelf. Eric uses the Pilot G2. And I didn't realize at the time, I actually have several of those. It's one of the pens in contrast to the V5, it does not have a cap. It has the clicking thing on the end. Mm. It has the kind of rubber surround that's supposed to make it more comfortable, but you don't really need comfort in a pen that you can hold lightly. You know, you don't write even as aggressively as you do with, say, a ballpoint or a pencil. Mm. Um, so I think it's got a lot of extra, I want to say, junk to it like there's sort of extra bulk to it that's unnecessary and that does not add to the experience also i think eric is going to find it's a really different writing experience like the tips of these two pens are fundamentally different and so all this is to say i'm really hoping for some follow-up and a side-by-side -side comparison so I, I was pleased to know oh actually i do have experience with the pilot g2 and the v5 really makes a big difference it's the way to go a couple of comments uh in response number one i was really i felt like there was an opportunity for one of us to say that's what she said when you were talking about the tip and it just, <laughs> didn't, it just didn't happen but i was I, I want you to know i was looking for my moment um, so and then secondly i would just listen to you lecture for a significant period of time about like like your criticism and analysis or just like reviews of office supplies there is just something delightful about hearing you talk about the writing experience and <laughs> like i don't there's it's like i don't know it's amazing so eric please respond so megan will like go further down that rabbit hole <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, if you want to write into us, you can always do so at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us uh, and comment on Instagram at office underscore hours underscore podcast uh, on Instagram. Um, so with that, should we dive in? Let's do it. Okay. Well, this is season three, episode five, initiation. Ryan gets an unconventional sales lesson at Dwight's family beat farm. Stanley and Michael line up for pretzel day.
All right, Megan. You said this is a Dwight episode, and uh, I felt like you were, I couldn't get a vibe, basically, <laughs> whether that was a positive thing or a negative thing from you. So maybe just at the, at the, at the top here, what, how, what's your hot take on this episode? Yeah. Are you a fan? Not so much. Hmm. Because you don't often like Dwight say, episodes. I would say mixed. And I also would almost reconsider my claim that it's a Dwight episode through a question. And so the question was about the title. Like, what is the effect of the title? Mm. So I was thinking about the fact that it's called Initiation instead of Pretzel Day mm. and how much that affects the experience of the episode and memory of the episode and how that directs our attention from the beginning to think mm -hmm. of it as a Dwight episode that's focused on that rather than that's focused on Michael and Stanley. And so I think there's actually a really, I love the Michael and Stanley story here. And I really like what's happening at Stanford with the squeaky chair, huh. but the Dwight plot I don't love, and I think you're right, it's that it gets too zany. That you're, that really is your word for it, and it's the right word. It just goes too far out there and kind of loses me. I do feel that this episode is a bit all over the place, and I struggled to kind of like have a take on it or a... I was like, how do we make this conversation interesting? Um, <laughs> I was like, it... it the plot lines are so distinct. Even the Stanley Michael plot is kind of like, it's partly about pretzel day, but it's also about Michael mm -hmm. not really working that hard and being reviewed by Pam. Mm -hmm. But I like, when I think about, that. what'd you say? I, said I, do, I will have a hot take on that. Yeah. I want to hear about that. But, but one of the, at the same time, I'd forgotten that this episode basically ends with uh, Pam and um, Jim really talking for the first time this season right yeah it's yeah a, it's a it's a momentous uh phone call and mm -hmm. um true. so there are scenes in here that i think of as like kind of really interesting um mm. anyway so well maybe we start with the cold open and and go from there um yeah or Sounds wherever good. you want to go i'm not even sure where i want to start yeah, we could do the open. I was just going to say, as you put together those things and you brought in Pam and Jim as part of the plot, I feel like maybe one of the things that unites all these is they're all stories about bonding or attempting to bond in some way and sometimes kind of unconventional ways. So the Stanley and Michael connection <laughs> here is really unique to this episode there's the way that Dwight is trying to build this connection with Ryan and then we've got that connection getting rebuilt with Pam and Jim so yeah but cold open should we talk about Dwight's jokes well I'm just already loved to, I'm to real real Ryan in yeah I just am already loving that framework that you've given us because it's so that's great you know because one of the most charming moments is Michael and Stanley high-fiving and yes and um them getting kind of aligned together so yeah no I, I I think I think that's really insightful um but yeah maybe maybe we could start with the opening and I would ask you how do you feel about riddles uh I feel like 
I feel like you could predict this about me. Don't love riddles. <laughs> so the examples the Dwight uses. So he he gives he gives Ryan several. Uh, what does he call them? Brain teasers. Brain teasers. Yeah. So he starts brain teaser. I have two coins totaling fifteen cents, and one of them is not a nickel. What are they? Ryan, a dime and a nickel. Dwight, no. I said one of them is not a nickel. Ryan, but the other one is. I've heard that before. Dwight, okay. A man and his son get into a car accident. They are rushed to the hospital. The doctor says there is no way I can operate on this boy, Ryan, because he's my son. The doctor is the boy's mother, and so on. And he keeps giving him this list where he like he starts the riddle, and Ryan more and more quickly just ruins it for him because he's heard it before and he already knows the answer. I mean, any of these interest you, surprise you? Were you familiar with them yourself? Uh, let's see. I mean, I think about the the doctor. Uh, the doctor is a mother a lot, or yeah. the doctor is a woman. I always feel like that's how I hear it, you know, or something. Yeah, um, and because the idea is that right, like you would the way that that riddle gets people is you assume, or you you don't assume that the doctor is a woman, and so right. You're like, how could that be? Uh, <laughs> although it also assumes that two men couldn't have a child. Right. Like the doctor could. You could say, no, women shouldn't be doctors, but two men can't have a son. <laughs> and that would be your, that'd be your argument, right? <laughs> that would be my it's, argument. It's one just way, to be clear. <laughs> you know, it's one way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't know how I feel about riddles other than I'm not good at them and they annoy me and I, but like, there's a part of me that wants to be good at them. So I guess that's <laughs> the like, you know, whereas I think sometimes you are a little more able to sort of be like, no, that's stupid. Um, I feel like sometimes I'm like, that is stupid, but um, why am I bad at it or whatever or something like that? Also, one of my favorite Batman villains was the Riddler. Um, and so maybe that's a part of it too. I, you know, I, but although the Riddler is like a poor imitation of the Joker, hmm. uh, but whatever, I like the Riddler and his stupid riddles. And uh, uh, so anyway, I don't know. I mean, the idea that these are somehow challenging to Ryan, Ryan is interesting or that they would be. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, like uh, in some ways, this episode is the most we've ever learned about Ryan and I kept thinking about it as a Ryan episode to a degree and like oh that's interesting yeah so he won't even entertain these yeah um, he won't go through the motions and it's interesting because Dwight isn't impressed you would think that it would impress somebody to be like oh wow you solved the riddle so fast but he doesn't he's just memorized the answers mm -hmm. and they're not, I don't know. I thought it was very interesting the line later on where Ryan's like, I was in a frat, so I know all this stuff. But yeah. I was also like, you went to college. And I, there's something about Ryan's like pretentiousness or above itness. Mm -hmm. I, I don't yeah. know. Can't yeah. get a handle on it. Because Dwight is, there is something awful about Dwight in this episode he is so annoying and overwhelming and at the same time there's something vulnerable about him yes and in his desire like the thing he does with the riddles is he is trying to connect with Ryan and trying to engage with Ryan and sort of interestingly the riddle thing is a way of and the whole initiation is a way of 
fucking with him basically yeah. not that unlike jim did to dwight oh good you know what i mean damn dude like there's You're kind of on uh, fire today yeah. i don't know i did think well yeah we'll come back to pranking and flirting hmm. that was the thing i was like wait have we talked about that i feel like we've talked about that before how close a prank is to flirting or not but it really became clear to me in this episode where you've got basically Dwight is hazing um Ryan yeah if you just tipped it over a little bit more it would be a prank because you wouldn't be taking it seriously right hmm. um but meanwhile it's juxtaposed with Jim you know pranking in a way Karen and it's so obvious that it's flirtatious and it's forming their yeah. intimacy and and yeah. so anyway maybe that's just another way of saying what you've already said about bonds no but that's I like that yeah a way of forming of forming their intimacy yeah and putting those onto a spectrum together does something really interesting well Jan is in this office she wants to know what Michael did yesterday uh, Michael says nothing. <laughs> um, he says, how was your day? I don't care how your day was, Michael. Uh, and I don't know why I love this because I really like Michael in this episode. I don't know why. Yes. But he, he, we don't know. It made me wonder if there was some, something preceding this conversation that we didn't have or something. But mm -hmm. it's it was just very amusing to me that he mistakes a like his supervisor asking for a you know documentation or whatever you want to, you know a detailed account yeah. of his work yeah he mistakes it as a casual social interaction which is what it sounds it, either way yeah phrasing is the same it's just the context is different and uh anyway so <laughs> I just thought it was really funny yeah I actually looked up that Dunder Mifflin work record, like those sheets that You're Pam has no to see way. if it was something I could order or if somebody had made a printable version. You know how sometimes there are those online where like they make printable versions and then you can use it because I wanted to use it. I didn't find anything. If you find anything, though, let me know. Listeners, you have your you have your assignment. You have yes. your goals. <laughs> uh, so I was a little confused and I was wondering if maybe you've thought about this or like have you seen a pattern or something but basically michael's interpretation of jan's attitude and pam's to some degree as well is that jan is jealous mm -hmm. is that is that what we're supposed to understand and if so mm -hmm. like have i forgotten like it feels like it wasn't in the last episode you know the last episode jan was pretty compassionate up until the point where she got kind of annoyed so I was just a little confused about why Jan is pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Is it actually jealousy or is it just that dealing with Michael is really annoying and gets right. to a really annoying point? It's it, one of the things I was kind of trying to think a little bit about was what came, what do we have that came before this? So there was Ed Truck. I don't know if she got word of the funeral and how they spent that entire day. There was 
the time before that when um this was the coup so was that two episodes ago i think where michael had kind of lost control of the branch and dwight was going and turning against him so i'm wondering if the frustration of dealing with michael just occasionally builds up and they're in this time where there is pressure for downsizing like they have to be able to show productivity and that something is happening and michael is not the clearest exhibition of productivity Mm. so i don't know i mean i feel like there could be some jealousy potentially that's built in there though i don't know at this point that we have any evidence for that except she did come for casino night like so Uh, right right. like there was that some feeling of hope with michael the disappointment then when carol was there so i think there's probably a mix of feelings and i feel like there may be a little bit of jealousy but we don't have full evidence for that and it also seems like it's something that's kind of easy to go to or like easier to go to than thinking yeah i maybe really need to work on my performance right 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 it's interesting that jan okay say again oh no no go ahead what'd you say i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna take a little bit of a different a different angle so well just to wrap it up i was just gonna say it's kind of interesting jan is testing michael michael is or and dwight is testing ryan yeah Um, yeah that was my only parallel but yeah yeah, take us in a different space well so it's kind of in in the same but i was going to say moving a little bit away from jan michael actually does a really good job on this day and here is why it's the coselli account yes so Jan, or so so Jan gives Pam this list to track hour by hour what is Michael doing each hour and when Pam starts filling it out the first thing is a Cosby impression because she's watching him he's in his office he's on the phone and he's doing this Bill Cosby jello impression mm-hmm. and he uses the name Coselli at some point in there at the end of the day, Pam, tell, this is after he's fallen asleep on his desk and he wakes up and his ha- his face has that kind of print, you know, from having your face down. And so he looks like a mess and he looks like he's been useless. But she says, that's a really big account. So Michael over this day has closed this big account. Then there's a part in the middle too, when we see him again on the phone with Coselli. Mm-hmm. And the only way to track it is that there's those brief references to the name. And it's the in the midst of these Cosby Jello impressions. And so Michael seems to me to be somebody who does not demonstrate productivity in the conventional ways. He does not correctly perform it so that you can fill out one of those forms mm. very clearly, but he does it. The man got the job done. Thoughts. I mean, well, a few thoughts. Number one, like, just in terms of the, sh- this is something I I feel like we've said a few times, but like, if, but the the how to say this, 
it's important that Michael is good at his job because otherwise he would be so fired so fast. Like mm-hmm. in the same way that there's a, a, a drop line where it's like Dwight is the top salesman in the company, I think. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? You know? And so just in terms of like establishing the believability that Michael wouldn't be fired, it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting how important mm-hmm. it is that he be successful. On the other hand, or at the same time, that you have kind of pointed out even in the last episode we had michael with his kind of like weird mullet haircut and it was like he was he's a successful salesman and or salesperson and so it's really interesting how that is a very consistent through line and we could talk about what it is that makes michael successful as a salesperson um you know, and we get a small window into it, but it does seem to be his kind of like silly personal touch or something. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me that what is left out of this episode is we do not get to see, we don't really, we we don't fully get to see Michael make the sale and we don't fully get to see Ryan fail to make the sale. And oh, we only yeah. see the, the sort of effects and the after effects and it's interesting that that Michael is not jazzed about it. He's, I mean, it's partly because he's like on a sugar crash and he slept. But I don't know. There was something also like a little bit endearing and a little bit sad about how at the start of the episode, he's like, you know, what did you do yesterday? I went home from work and I had sex with Carol. <laughs> and I was kind of like, it, was it good? Are you happy? Like, you know, you would think like this guy who seemingly is a, like has all these problems with women and all these strange relationships to sex it's such a mundane life or it's such a mundane window into his life i was kind of like so what does it mean for him to go home now Hmm. like and he doesn't but anyway so put that aside uh what was the other part i was gonna say (laughs) i forgot (laughs) uh caselli i don't know i'll come back to it um Oh, what was the other part? Michael oh. being a good salesman. The oh, important- yes, that's it. So the other, the part that feels very satirical and kind of um, pointed is that he can do, like, the job doesn't take that much time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, it's like the whole day and it's like, I want you to account hour by hour what he's doing. But really, he needs about three minutes to do this big sale. And there's just, I mean, of course, he's a salaried employee, as opposed to the commissions that that like Dwight is doing. And I don't know if anybody's a wage. Is anybody being paid by a wage? Maybe Pam? Pam, yeah. Um, So so it's just an interesting contrast, you know, because that to me is always the thing that's so silly about a lot of corporate structures of time work is Mm -hmm. like yeah actually you could do this really fast and then we could all move on but like no Mm -hmm. they have to own your day um anyway that was my thought here's a question does it take as little time as it seems to or is there more happening in the times when we do not think there's something that is happening that's this goes to the question of like what is the importance of pretzel day Yes. What does Pretzel Day do? Interesting. So I guess I mean he was he was already starting the the Cosby impression thing began and that Cosby's reputation has changed since that point. But um 
that begins before the announcement of pretzel day although i think he knows it's going to be pretzel day but you know is there something about spending time doing something like is there a component i guess so is there a component of sales and of the job that he does that takes a kind of thought and creativity this may seem like a stretch as an argument about michael but that takes a level of thought and creativity and artistry that has to kind of bake for a little bit mm. <laughs> of bloat because if you think about writing something you know you don't necessarily just sit down and have it come out like the product doesn't necessarily correspond to just hours that are sitting and physically writing but maybe you are in the pretzel line and in that time where your mind is a little freer to do something else something comes to you mm. so is there the excitement of the excitement of pretzel day of something else like are those other things somehow a part of michael's magic am i reaching too far <laughs> well did you argue yes fight me on this tyler it's okay did you intend when you said it needs to bake like did you intend that pun i did not <laughs> holy shit I like not. i said everybody is gonna write in and be like tyler is right megan is on fire tonight <laughs> this is incredible just incredible a plus level <laughs> podcasting analysis uh from you um damn anyway so saying this is legitimate my response of michael no i disagree because okay. he says, he <laughs> says i don't know just just because it seems like well i don't know what is it that he needs to figure out or do i guess would be my question um <laughs> uh but he does say okay so he says this is it, Michael's argument. Productivity is important, but how can I be productive if I have this one little thing in my brain there that I cannot get out? And that <laughs> one little thing is a soft pretzel. So I'm just going to have to have my, I'm going to have to have my soft pretzel and then I'll get to work and I'll be super productive. Look out for me. Um, yeah. And look out for him. Does he not come back and get a lot done? I guess. And he does say, I like this line, Pam, productivity starts with patience and determination, <laughs> which actually, I mean, is kind of true. But like when he comes back and he proposes all these things, aren't they all kind of <laughs> meaningless? I can't remember what he proposes. I mean, they're singing uh, some kind of song. Um, so, yeah, he's got <laughs> in his office. I love it so much that it's like a jock jam song right yeah kind of sports arena song and he's moving around in his office he kind of steps up on the chair and kicks up his knee and he comes out and he's talking really quickly and he has all of these ideas about things that he's going to do to improve the productivity and efficiency and all of that so he says <laughs> Okay, let, let, let me read a little bit of this. Michael says, oh, hey, everyone, I'm officially streamlining the efficiency of this corporation. Second. Toby asks, second? Michael, yes, second, Toby. Second, I'm insisting on increased accountability from every single one of you. Kevin, account. Michael, what's going on? Michael, and I will be taking questions. Pam, did you have a lot of sugar today, Michael? 
Phyllis, what's on your suit? Michael, caramel dip. But one question at a time, please. Phyllis, Stanley, I want you to switch desks. I'm going to reorganize and restructure the physical layout of the office to maximize everything. I think we're going to, I think we're getting a lot done, don't you? On paper, at least. <laughs> and we are, after all, a paper company. Are we not? Are we not? Are we not? Are you with me? Are you with me? Thank you very much. So he says, on paper, this is interesting. He says, I think we're getting a lot done, don't you? On paper, at least. If he breaks down and puts on paper onto that list, this set of initiatives that he's using, mm -hmm. those look good on this piece of paper, even mm -hmm. though they do nothing. So I think it raises this question about what productivity actually looks like. What does it actually look like to do your job well? And can you document it in that conventional way where it's easy to assess and sort of break down numerically almost into these little pots mm. the other thing yeah sugar high is a myth really yes it's a myth i double checked they've done big studies on this it's a myth it's not it's not real um you can go look at how like the the way that you know the body handles sugar or whatever myth this this has been the studies the major and serious studies you can go back the first one i probably should have written this down because it was maybe kind of interesting but it went to the first study that was in maybe the 70s that was not very good that suggested this link between children being hyperactive and having sugar but then much bigger much more effective studies have repeatedly proven that to be wrong but they say there is this link, like the times when, for example, parents see their kids have sugar and go crazy. There's also, they they describe it as sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy and kind of there's a seeing what you expect to see, but also that there's this correlation where these big sugar events are also events that are really exciting for other reasons. And there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. So he gets this pretzel with 18 different toppings. And he does, so he does have a lot of sugar, but the whole thing, like the event, the whole event of it is really exciting. It puts him into a new space. It puts him into a new kind of interaction with Stanley. Uh, what's his name? Um, Bob Vance calls them a pair of Marys. And I'm shocked by that. Yeah, what a dick, Bob Vance. But he gets, so there he gets to be on Stanley's side. And I feel like it just... He waits in that big line and thank God they still have a sweet pretzel. So I think there's a lot of other excitement factors that really hype Michael up. That was a lot. And you're arguing that this, the, the, that makes him successful or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Just to be clear. Uh, no, I, I, I do think, um, well, a few, a few things. I do think, I just love what you're saying about, you know, because Jan wants it to be a, a version of accountability of his day and of his work that is documentable. And I do like the idea that there are ineffable or non-accountable or unaccountable like ways of, um, I don't know, operating that that uh, elude that genre so i like that idea a lot and does does michael represent that in his kind of um fixation on the pretzel thing i don't know it would be really interesting to read him as 
I don't know. Uh, like, is this a version of procrastination? I'm not really sure it's that. Is it a version of kind of like ADHD? Like that kind of hyper fixation? I don't know. But um, but when he comes back, yeah, I do think, I, I did think about the sugar high, but I also thought about the last episode. See, I'm trying to get better at remembering the patterns, but in the last episode he said, something about how dunder mifflin was really different when before they knew cocaine was bad for you <laughs> yes so i kept thinking oh, did they move paper i thought about that too <laughs> so i was like oh this is about coke and uh and it's just really funny that he wants them to switch desks and reorganize and restructure the physical layout of the office to maximize everything mm -hmm. but i think you're right that like if you wrote that down like that would play for corporate and it's just yeah. so meaningless um mm -hmm. and uh anyway but i just want to go to one very small thing which is i'll circle back to the pretzel the scene of the pretzeling so first i was pretty shocked that bob vance called them a pair of marys i was like damn like that's super homophobic right and yes. i was trying to do some research into the origin of the phrase a pair of Marys, whether or whether it's just Mary that he's yeah. taking up and he's appropriating it in that way. But nonetheless, I was just like, wow, like this show has kind of avoided, well, not whatever. Nobody comments on it. Nobody says anything other than, I guess, just that they're, it's obvious that they've triumphed. Um, mm -hmm. But he's, he's calling them gay, basically or effeminate but the reason that they are so is because they're rule followers they're like you can't yes. break the line and it's also interesting because he's trying to use heteronormative intimacy as a rationale for jumping the line and this is something that does piss me off and i'm hypersensitive to when i'm in a line and like if people like like and like because I've definitely been like in the line and people are like, oh, let me join. And I'm like, oh, please don't do this. Like like I and I'm looking around like I'm not I don't want to let them do this. Like yes. I respect the line as a as a thing. I mean, Tyler, I, think, I love that about you. I just you don't jump the line. There there are some rules for living in a society that you just have to follow. I so agree with you on this. And that was going to be one of my questions for you is like, do you think Phyllis could jump? Is it okay for them to, to do this? But I guess. Absolutely not. I agree. Absolutely not. This is a low moment for Phyllis and for Bob. And they want to use their hetero privilege as a way to do it. So it's really interesting that he basically like becomes homophobic, but that's also the thing that kind of aligns them. Hmm. Like it makes Stanley and Michael uh yes high five and there but really what brings yes. them together is not so much their shared desire for the pretzel or their like homosocial whatever it's like rule following or policing basically <laughs> uh so i don't i didn't know what to make of it other than but then i wanted to ask you whether what about michael using pam to hold his place on the line to is that an appropriate Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I feel like he should probably make it clear, give some explanation to the people around him. I think if he sticks to it tightly so that she holds the spot 
and he comes back and replaces her so that she's not sliding in. I think that's fine. And I actually think that's better than doing the awkward thing to the person behind you and asking, can you save my spot? Because I yeah. think that that puts them into yeah. a weird position. And I think you need to respect your line mates. And so I think her holding the place for him while he is going to the bathroom is acceptable. Am I wrong about this? Are you okay with that? I'm completely okay with it, but just the phrase line mates, <laughs> never heard of, and I am obsessed with. I think sometimes when I'm in a line, yeah. I I find this is a moment when I feel like this is American democracy, or this mm. is, this is, it's one of the few times where I feel most embedded in like, in either national belonging or maybe even more broadly like human community. And huh. I get, I look around at my, I've never used the phrase line mates, but I'm stealing that. But I sometimes want to look around at my line mates and like, we're in this together. Like we are all, you know, like we are, we are here in this order by arbitrary chance. And we all must respect the rule of human decency that, that is our, the pure arbitrary contingency of where we fall on the line. And yes, we all would like it to go faster. Um, and we might roll our eyes at one another or something, but I think that the degenerates of the human race are the folks, for example, who when a plane lands <laughs> and people stand and then some people like rush forward, breaking the the the, yeah. the arbitrary order by which we will deplane. Mm -hmm. No, sir. No, like you have we all have places to go none of us wants yeah. to do this but or 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 when you're in the grocery line and it's like the person in the front of the line is taking too long or whatever and everybody's like kind of getting annoyed with them there is this part of me that's like hey look i'm in solidarity with you yeah i'd like this to go faster but on the other hand who among us have not gone taken up too much time in the line you know it is mm -hmm. it is like each person gets their turn uh, like let's not go too hard do you know what i'm saying so this is why yeah. i yeah. actually i was not annoyed at michael when he is like we still have a sweet pretzel and he's like okay and he looks unsure of what his order is because i know i mean i'm gonna have a question for you as a starbucks person because you have curated the line but there is a part of me sometimes where i'm really annoyed when people get up to the front of the line and it's like they don't know their order i'm like come on like uh -huh. the menu hasn't changed and you've been staring at it for 10 minutes <laughs> and yet i still feel against my own annoyance the basic human dignity of of once your turn comes you get to take your turn and uh and so i loved michael's face as he is read the list of the 18 toppings and his <laughs> eyes grow wide and his face looks bewildered and if i may i would like to read it into the record um, please do and we have 18 different toppings we have sweet glaze cinnamon sugar chocolate white chocolate fudge m m's caramel dip mint chip chocolate chip marshmallow nuts toffee nuts coconuts peanut butter drizzle oreo sprinkles cotton candy bits and powdered sugar <laughs> and he gets the works which includes all of those so I, I have a number of questions for you i've been talking too long now i will break but among them is, would you eat that? <laughs> and tell me about line, your philosophy of lines, especially as a former Starbucks employee. Oh, 
Tyler, there you have put so many good things out here for us to pick up. Let me go back a little bit. When you said your experience of the line, you feel this is American democracy. This goes back to our early discussion about this being the great American story. You're right. <laughs> There's something really big and interesting here about the culture of the line. And we've talked some about what happens when the show goes into different spaces, but this just being in a hallway in a line, we can talk more about that, what's happening in the show. There's a lot going on there. It's very interesting. But why do you feel Americanness when you are in a line? And is it specifically when you're in a line for voting? But you use the grocery store, you use the airplane, you use these different things. What is going on there? Yeah, it's as I was saying it, I was like, why am I calling it American or citizenship or national? Um, and there are different cultures of line rules. Yeah. This might be where I'm really patriotic on what I take to be American rules, although people don't really follow them. So I don't know if they are our rules. I will say I was in an airport in um, a different country. And in that country, there was not the culture of the line. And it was like when the check-in for the flight became available, everybody just mobbed. And I was like, this is madness. And it made me angry for a number of reasons, but, you know, definitely like kind of, you know, elderly people, people with disabilities, you know, et cetera, you know, pe folks who are not capable mm -hmm. of like shouldering their way to the front were definitely pushed aside. Yeah. But let's also be honest. My own selfishness was like, hey, fuckers like yeah what i don't what the hell i've been here for an hour or whatever why just because anyway you know um so yeah. i don't know maybe it's it's a particular american culture where i feel like we are very judgy and and very like persnickety about about jumping lines and about like and everybody gets a little tattletale -y, you know <laughs> um so I don't know, I, but which is not necessarily a good quality, right? Especially if it is kind of an extension of whether you want to call it policing, I don't know, but, you know, surveillance or rule enforcement. But I, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. It's just like it though as democratic. And I like that because everybody gets in and everybody has to wait. And if yeah, you all get to turn and everybody gets their turn and everybody gets their pretzel. Here's the other question. Tyler, as an East Coast person, this might be a New York-specific thing, but what is with people saying online instead of in line? Like saying, I am standing online. Yeah. Is this a New York State thing? Is it a New York City thing? I hate it, Tyler. It really bothers me. And let me tell you why. Yeah, please do. And which one is your preference? In line. Oh, okay. I agree. Jeez, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Clearly, we've tapped into something where I've got a lot of feeling. Because you're not, it's not, the, I don't know. The, the existence of the line is created. Online suggests that there's a line that's out there existing and then you are getting upon it. The line is created by the bodies that are in it. So you are in it. It's not a separate external thing that you are standing on. Even if you could draw a line underneath yourselves, the line is, to go back to your point, 
about feeling this is American democracy or line mates, like the line is the community of the people who are put together there. You are in it. You are not on it. I think that's the fundamental nature of the line. Now I want to be of line. <laughs> um, or okay. by the line. But uh, no, I completely agree with you. I've never understood online. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just quickly Googling, you know, and it sounds like it's more common than waiting online, which is a phrase largely local to the New York City region. Both communicate the same meaning, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. But it's interesting because I, I always thought it was like a Midwest or something thing. But it, even in this thread, it sounds like it's not that way. Maybe it's English, is or at least that's what some folks are saying on these Twitter threads. But hmm. I, I I did not realize it was like a New York City specific thing. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, I say inline, and it makes no sense to me to say online if we're thinking in literal terms. You know that yeah. like you're not on it, you're in it or of it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. Uh, in, but, now, in the internet age, it just, it, I'm sorry, it can't be. I'm standing online. Oh, it's yeah, just, right. Oh, yeah, me. that's made it especially. Just for right. practical purposes. But we haven't even talked about, where did you get to? Your question, oh, a yeah, pretzel. pretzel. Oh, wait, yeah. I, I think that pretzel, when the guy's putting it in the oven or when he takes that, you know, when he's putting the salt on, it looks so good. I think any like a limited combination of those things would be excellent, but it destroys it by putting all of the things because totally you can't have caramel with mint chip. Exactly. Because, you know, there are certain certain combinations you just can't cross. So I think unfortunately, by getting everything, he also destroys everything. Oh, that sounds profound to me. But also, Michael does say he likes it a particular way. And if he doesn't get it that way, it's ruined. And I was like, is this the particular way? Like, because it seems like this is maybe the first time he's ordered it this way. So I was very curious what the original order would have been. Um, I think but he I'm wants relieved to, to yeah. I think he what? wants to get up there and know. I think he wants to have control. I think he wants to be able to pick out. I see. I see. However, yeah. it'll be and it might change, but he wants to be able to pick out the way he wants it. Um. We have so much left to discuss. I'm so shocked. I thought we were going to do this episode in like an hour. I had nothing and to say about it. I still have several points about the line. Are you serious? <laughs> we haven't gotten. Okay, just, just to refresh our brains. We still the core. Because a big question I was going to have for you is about what initiation is. And how we initiate into things. So we've got Ryan and Dwight and and Moe's. We've got uh, Pam and Jim. And we've got Jim and the chair and, and Karen, right? Like those are the... There's so much. Okay, but let's wrap up the pretzel day and the line. So yeah. my question... Oh, yeah. What about your experience with lines? And, 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 and you have been the person... You've been yeah, the... Um, yeah, I don't know why I think of Starbucks as an iconic line. It is. It can be. And because I, the one that I worked at was right by the college campus, and it was very busy. So we would have a line to the door. And actually, I loved really strategically, efficiently working through that line. The thing you got to do is when you are that busy, 
you've got to have, is this going too deep into, into Starbucks context? Nope. Is this too boring? But you've got like the people who are in register and you got the people who are on bar, but then you should have an, an additional person who's going down the line and getting those orders in advance to get them to the bar and get them going. That's the way to make it efficient. And I love running through that efficiency efficiently. I also, my first job was at Caribou Coffee. And uh, so that was when I first started really, really working on lines. And when I say working on lines, I mean working on the phenomenon of lines, not being in a line. Yeah, very clear, very clear. <laughs> and do I have a problem? You'd ask, do I have a problem of people getting up and not knowing what they want? Yes, good memory. Uh, not really if they're nice about it. Okay, yep. So, so if they're, here's what I hate. The person in the Starbucks line who will not get off their phone to place an order and talk to the person who is taking their order, that drives me crazy. But if they get up there and they're nice and they feel like it's a confusing menu and like with Michael's case, there are 18 different toppings and you don't know what to pick or quite how it'll work, that I am completely fine with. But when it is... uh when it is kind and friendly in the interaction. Love it. Love it. The other item I feel like I just have to discuss briefly about the line and the culture of the line. The thing that's interesting is that it's not only that it bonds Michael and Stanley when, why do I keep forgetting his name? Bob Vance is being a dick and bringing phyllis into the line there's also a woman who's standing i think she's right in front of michael and stanley and she just has this great face the way too that sometimes not even saying anything but mm -hmm. the sort of social dynamics of faces that you use to enforce the rules and she just has this great enforcing the rules face I'll try to get a picture of her too posted on our Instagram. Yes, yes, do it, do it, do it. She's got a really good social enforcer face. Um, my only last point about the pretzel plot is that it's it's just kind of interesting that it is um it's the last beat of the whole episode is Stanley saying 364 days till the next pretzel day. And yeah. um I just thought that was interesting because, you know, like it brings us like in some ways, the whole episode or at least part of the episode, Michael's plot is very much about time, time management, accounting for time. Um, but and and maybe this is partly what I'm registering with Michael's kind of like melancholy or bewilderment. It's like Pam's like, you made a big sale. It's a big deal. And it's like, yep, you know, mm -hmm. and the kind of loss of a sense of meaningfulness of that mm. we're looking forward to pretzel day is actually more meaningful or exciting um yeah. than the drudgery of labor <laughs> or yeah. something i don't know so is, is there it was just something about how how such a small release from the routine mm -hmm. is something so uh pleasurable for stanley that he's like organizing his entire year essentially yeah. around it around its return yeah yeah and kind of shows all you have to all you have to provide is that like little space of release in order to avoid 
rebellion of the workers. Yeah. Well, okay. That is actually one thing. So it says, the announcer says, attention Scranton Business Park. There will be complimentary pretzels in the lobby from now until four o'clock as a thank you to our loyal tenants. And I yeah, did, so it's not was, from Dunder Mifflin. It's from the building. Right. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've had a lot of landlords and they've never given me shit. <laughs> I was sort of like. It's so exciting, actually. This is a really nice touch. Yeah. But I was like, would it ever happen? Like, <laughs> if you or I ever run an office park, yes. Hell yeah, we would. Um, also, we should look into that as an alternative we, we backup career that. or side hustle. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just kept thinking, why didn't they choose to make it Dunder Mifflin's Pretzel Day? You mm. know? But maybe that's part of it. Is it's like a release from the Dunder Mifflin routine. And yeah. anyway, yeah, you get some other people down there in that line. So I actually have one final thing about Pretzel Day before we move on, and this goes against my usual approach to these episodes and that is that first of all i usually don't watch you know how peacock now has the extended yes fan episodes where they include the deleted scenes and i only very slowly watch those because i don't like to watch them before we see the episode but somehow at some point i unintentionally did see a deleted scene that is from this episode and I know normally I like to take the text as it stands and not be, uh, I don't know, swayed or not kind of like imagine onto it, these other possibilities. But there is this one deleted scene that feels like a big miss to me that they cut this. And let me read this to you, Tyler. Michael, this is so Michael and Stanley are sitting outside on one of the benches kind of around near the warehouse entrance, I think, and talking. And Michael says, they're eating their pretzels. Michael says, what makes them so good? Stanley, I do not know. Michael, I mean, they're just dough twisted up with some candy. They taste so good in my mouth. Stanley, that's what she said. Ah! And Michael both laugh. And Stanley and Michael laughing together is just a beautiful moment. And... So that's one where I just felt really sad that they wow. cut. Did they, so they shot that. That's in the, I can watch that. Yeah. Wow. That's shocking. Yeah. Shocking. So. If but you also watch, you, you have broken your own rule for the show. And in some way, is that like Bob Vance? No, it would be more like Michael trying to jump the line if he. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, it was borderline at best, <laughs> as Michael at one point says. Isn't he does it, say that's that. What Michael, that's what Michael says when he, um, in defense says, of Jan. Uh, he says the sex thing about Jan, right? He says it was a joke. It was borderline yeah, at yeah, best. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. without my move there, it was borderline at best. Uh, I didn't think we are, we're gonna have to do the extended episodes right like that that yeah. would be okay it's right. just that it's a separate thing we don't have time for it here clearly we barely have time we have missed the whole primary plot so we have uh, missed the entire primary plot and we spent about 30 minutes on the culture of the line i mean it's really important it's i'm still thinking about like the grocery store as a as a scene of 
of enlightenment and uh, and its states. Yeah. Anyway, it's actually really a fascinating social situation. There's so many dynamics that are going on. You could really, you could really do a big study of lines. Um. Okay. Ryan, we can't study lines here. We will move on. Uh, Ryan initiation, uh, plot. So, Tyler, just, yeah, you have some thoughts about Dwight's car, don't you? <laughs> I just thought it was cool. <laughs> I looked it up. It's it's a 1987 Pontiac Trans Am. Uh, I think. Well, that that is, but that was kind of a question I was like searching around for. But some blog said that that's what it is. Um, the maroon Pontiac Firebird was produced as a competitor to the blah 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 blah. Schrute's Trans Am was Pontiac's third generation release of Firebirds. So I guess I'm a little confused on whether it's a Firebird or or whether those are. Anyway, I don't know shit about cars. What I do know is. It made me chuckle. And I especially like the shot where Ryan and Dwight are in the beet farm or they're on the beet farm and uh, they're like in the field and the car mm-hmm. is between them, basically. And Dwight like holds out the beet seed mm-hmm. and the car is kind of like really lovely framed in the background. And of course, part of the joke is that Dwight is going to run to it and abandon Ryan. Um, so I just enjoyed that. Hmm. Uh, joke and and also the kind of visual joke too of of this car you said you'd looked up the music they were listening to in it right I did what is I it did. so they are listening to where did i write this down oh yeah so the song is called river runs red by the metal band life of agony <laughs> and the lyrics of the song are very dark. Let me just read you a little snippet. I got the razor at my wrist because I can't resist. I've never got this fever burning, or sorry, I've got this fever burning fist that does as I wish. But when I get downtown and I see what's around, I know there's got to be a better place to be found. Oh, God, help me. The river runs red and I think I'm dying. <laughs> so there is a little hope. It gets to thinking that there is a better place to be found, but it's just interesting. It just, it feels like, is this a thing of a different era, Tyler, or is it just that I'm less up on music that we had more kind of suicidal ideation music? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like lots of that, like I'm thinking about cutting my wrists kind of, lyrics Mm -hmm. and it does not feel like that's the case anymore but it feels like that was a pretty clear category of songs and there were a lot of them and it's very interesting that that is what Dwight is blasting in his car yeah I think I do I think about this a lot just in terms of like in the 90s at least there whatever we would think of as pop music was I know I know that pop is a genre and like what was popular was like alternative, but mm-hmm. but still, you know, you would, you know, even something like Nirvana or whatever, Offspring or you know that kind of stuff. Like there was a lot of negative affect. There was a lot of yeah, yeah, angst and anger and social alienation. And I often wonder, like, yeah, where is that in pop 
popular music or in pop music like it's yeah some genres more than others um but yeah anyway uh, but you know and certainly metal is not like a popular or a mass form at mm-hmm. the moment i don't know maybe it is i don't know but it doesn't seem like something that you're going to be hearing in line at the grocery store for example <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but yeah i don't know i thought that it was angst, funny the angsty side of dwight is really interesting it is. Not, to say, not to say that the, the lyrics of the music you listen to capture what you are feeling necessarily or that they are some direct reflection of you but just his his connection and his pleasure in that music is just entertaining it's really interesting his vulnerability comes out later in the episode but he says it's just jim and i didn't get along and i didn't want it to be that way again you know i wanted yeah. to be a team an yeah. unstoppable team that competed against other teams <laughs> um Ryan says, look, that's not what I wanted. Okay. I I want I just wanted to go on a sales call. To which Dwight says, screw gun, the sales call. Which I was like, what? I love that he says screw gun. What does that's that even so mean? Funny. <laughs> and it's so tame. <laughs> I guess, you know, partly just uh, on network TV, they're not allowed to swear, and so they have right. to. They screw gun, but they can bleep things out. That's true. But there's also just an interesting contrast between the lyrics of what he's listening to and saying screw gun, like the tameness of that. There's a sort of interesting good boy, bad boy blend in Dwight. There is. Well, okay. I mean, even the desire to kind of like, I guess, is this hazing? Is this initiation? You know, what is this? But the way the form that it takes. Okay, so first there's riddles. Then when they're in the beat farm, it's a kind of like karate kid, or Hmm. I kept thinking of the matrix, like the when he says, you know, first like extending the hand and having the blue pill and the red pill is like the iconic scene from the matrix. And then when he says, when you what is it that he says? Uh, like when you're ready, you'll see the something. The, oh, when you're ready to see the sales office, the sales office will present itself to you. <laughs> Your journey begins now, and that really reminded me of mm. the Matrix and the kind of like, you yeah. know, perception is the thing that you know leads to your uh, going down the rabbit hole or something. Yeah. Um, the Matrix has a big Alice in Wonderland yeah. allegory, so. Uh, and, but then of course, like, you know, it brings him to the, to the farm where he's supposed to fight his fears (laughs) and I don't know. So like, there's a, there's something I wouldn't say nefarious at all. Like it's just silly and charmingly stupid. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, if we had another hour, I wanted to talk about what initiation is. <laughs> but alas, we do not. Yeah, Dwight, I don't know. This whole thing it is so crazy. Uh, it's amazing we haven't talked about. This is the plot of the episode, and we have this not. Is the plot. And you're like so not interested in it. You want to go back to Pretzel Day. I can feel it. I can feel myself wanting to talk about the line more. And <laughs> like, why do I have nothing to say about all of this stuff that happens here? 
I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I I have stuff to say about it. I Nothing, tell me the things you've got to say. <laughs> well, first, I thought it was interesting that Ryan it compares it to a frat, and I, I was like, okay, so yeah, frat, yeah. Typically, okay. So as I under, I was not in a fraternity, but my understanding. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my understanding. Lovingly. Yeah, they, no, I, I, I am appreciative of that. <laughs> but the haze, the idea of initiating you would be, on the one hand, you're being initiated into something. And mm -hmm. that would be some kind of exclusive grouping that mm -hmm. others can't be in or have failed to succeed into um and and then there's the the hazing element is like you will suffer in the way that i suffered hmm. and, but by enduring these you know rituals or tests or whatever of usually of, of bodily humiliation or something um or endurance you will then um you know you, you will accept you right hmm. Um, but the but part of the 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 tension or the drama is that like you might not actually be. And so I kept thinking about that indifference to this. Um, like, is it possible for Ryan to fail? You know, when he starts to quit, Dwight's like, never mind, never mind, don't worry about it. You know, like um and which just made me think about the the power dynamic here, which is that like Ryan is no longer a subordinate. Dwight keeps calling him the temp. And I love the way he shouts it when Ryan throws the eggs against the building. Um, yes. But yes. then he changes it when they're drinking beer together and Ryan downs the beer. And that made that brought me back to the fraternity kind of culture or whatever. Yeah. Of like heavy drinking and, and drinking together after the endurance ritual or something. Yeah. But from Dwight's perspective, the entire initiation is there is something like there is some integrity to it in a way like yeah. he wants, I kept thinking that you would be excited about this because it is a, it is a theory of pedagogy. Like it is the theory of learning. Um, wow. Tyler, that's so smart. Oh my God. I, I did not think to read this in that way. I love it. <laughs> okay. So for example, he's like, uh, you know what your problem is? You know why you haven't made me sales? Because you think you know everything. You have to trust that maybe there are other people that can teach you things. Are you ready to learn? Are you ready for the final test? You know, mm -hmm. so even there is like, we're getting a read on Ryan um, and, you know, things that and and things that he needs to confront. And that actually is kind of true. Ryan, I mean, Ryan yeah. kind of thinks he knows everything and he doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, or the idea that you need to confront your fears um, I mean, and then once it breaks down, he starts saying, he starts giving the advice that Michael gave him and it's good advice. Establish time frames. keep the phrase real dollars in their head. Always keep the power in the conversation. That's why you're losing them on the cold calls. Cause you say the word please too much. Michael always says K I S S keep it simple, stupid, great advice hurts my feelings every time. So, but it's almost like once the learning has broken down that he can actually teach him useful stuff or like the his fantasy of how he's gonna teach I yeah. Don't. yeah oh that's so right right yeah because Dwight's fantasy of how he's going to 
teach him yeah it's not the part that ryan connects with at all it's kind of like if you imagine yourself being the robin williams professor who like stands up on a desk and tears pages yes, out of a book yes, yes. you're like that's not ever gonna happen but when dwight gets past his fantasy and he starts just telling him stuff because ryan then takes out his little notebook and he wants to take notes about it and get it down so you're right there and dwight kind of like michael in this episode seems like a complete idiot yes. and interestingly ryan calls him a freak and kelly calls him a freak so yep. that's kind of like because that there's a real specific sort of gravity to that word yeah. um both calling him a freak but he then is wild and outrageous as he seems he does end up having some good advice i think the best moment for dwight is when they come out of the building. I'm really interested in your point that actually two of the really crucial centers almost of the story do not get shown. Mm -hmm. And that's Michael's success and Ryan's failure. So but weird, a choice. Such a weird choice. Interesting, right? It's really interesting. So when they come out, Ryan says, I don't get it. I don't get what I did wrong. And Dwight says, not everything's a lesson, Ryan. Sometimes you just fail. It's those online paper jerks. The whole business is changing. But th that point that not everything's a lesson, sometimes you just fail and that's fine. And we can just like walk out and be fine with that. Yeah. that really good advice out of Dwight. I think he comes off very charming. And yeah. I, I, this wasn't my favorite episode or whatever, but that was my, the, as it, those final two scenes when he's kind of cheering Ryan on when he throws the eggs and when they drink together, I thought was very... Yeah charming and the whole barn shit is just so funny i think the mo's haunting the hollowed grounds dwight saying maybe we'll be best friends and i won't see mo so much anymore i love that he won't see mo so much anymore uh, he apologizes and he gives ryan um fat back bacon um, <laughs> and uh, yes and wait what'd you say and the eggs. That's how they end up. And the eggs. In the car, so they needed the, the farm for that. I had to look up fat back, which is a slab of hard fat on both sides of the backbone of a mature pig. It <laughs> uh, can be used in many ways. So that was good for me to learn. Um, but he also gives some sort of fertility goddess that Mose has. Oh, yeah. The most carved. Carved. Uh, and I was very confused. <laughs> curious like what that was about but yeah. <laughs> that's funny i have no idea i'm so glad that he gave them eggs though and one of my favorite moments is when ryan goes and reaches through the window grabs an egg and goes to start throwing it at the building and when dwight sees what he's doing and just gets so happy and so excited the delight in that moment it seems like there are these moments of just sheer delight in this episode and Dwight throwing the eggs with Ryan and Stanley and um Stanley and Michael getting pretzels I just found the what it, there was a reddit thread devoted to Moses statue and it is the Venus of Willendorf uh, it's a Venus figurine estimated to have made around 25,000 to 30,000 years ago, found in 1908. Okay, great. 
um, at a Paleolithic site near Willendorf, a village in Lower Austria. It is carved from blah, blah, blah. Um, but basically a kind of exaggerated sexual features represented an early fertility deity, perhaps a mother goddess. Hmm. Um, so just interesting that that's the thing that he chooses <laughs> to, to, to carve. Uh, <laughs> really? You know, okay, one other thing, because we've got to talk about the Jim and Pam of it all, I guess, is um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the scene with Ryan in the wheelchair is a reference to the movie Red Dragon. Have you ever seen that? No. Um, it's the third or fourth uh, Hannibal Lecter movie. Uh, oh. Yeah. It, well, it's technically a remake of this movie called Manhunter, which is like the first that precedes Silence of the Lambs, whatever. But yeah. there's a scene where a serial killer puts a guy in a wheelchair and and look, that looks very similar to that. Um Oh, creepy. And but I thought it was so interesting that he's like, what's what is Michael Scott's greatest fear? <laughs> yes. And and Ryan is like loneliness. Mm-hmm. Maybe women. And I love his reading of that. Um, and I also thought it was interesting when he says, what's the greatest danger facing Dunder Mifflin? Ryan says outsourcing and consolidation of competition, which kind of gets echoed a bit in Dwight's like you know the online paper but he's like flash floods (laughs) give us to his answer to Michael's greatest fear (laughs) oh and by the way he mentions the Dharma initiative which is another reference to loss which was did you ever watch lost no but Dwight doesn't didn't Dwight reference lost when they go down to the warehouse yeah yeah I loved lost at the time so it's yeah all right the, I just love to, to read into the record when Ryan says spot on about, about Michael Spears' loneliness, maybe women. Dwight says wrong. He's not afraid of anything. Also, I would have accepted snakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall we shall we go over to what is the other town called? Why do I keep forgetting it? Oh, uh, fucking. Non Scranton. Whoa. Oh. Uh... <laughs> Oh man, we're tired. Uh, I don't know. Oh, Stanford, Stanford. Stanford. Okay. I wanted to say Scottsdale, but that's Arizona. Yeah, that's way off. Okay, Karen had a squeaky chair, or she has one. Jim gave Jim stole her chair, right? And like, um, how charming. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts? I have nothing on this. I really. love it when okay so they've been moving the chair around and Karen comes back at some point and she sits and now she's got the squeaky chair again and then there's the singing so it looks like it's Jim singing that song it's like love me love me you know that song Mm -hmm. um and Karen says stop and then it's just on Jim and continuing that song and I love when Karen Karen's response when he keeps going and going and going, and she says, "This is not a proportionate response." I just I love like that, that line. This is I not like a proportionate it. response. <laughs> I liked it too, and I I've been you know the last couple of episodes I've been tracking the kind of militaristic metaphors that pop up, and I was like, mm. is, this, "Is proportionate response a kind of?" Uh, oh yeah. Um, 
you know, military language or something. I, anyway, I, huh. I, I think it is. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, it's like you attack in kind or something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I just love that line too. I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Here's the thing that I was trying to figure out. So it goes, apparently it looks like it's Jim singing it. But then we see it like keep the camera keeps kind of panning back, and then we see Andy singing, yes. and then it goes into one of the yes. interviews with Andy, and Andy is singing the last line of it. Yes. So what I thought it was is that Jim was just lip syncing, and he was not singing at all. It was always Andy, but Jim starts at exactly the beginning. So. How did they, because they, their voices just sound so alike there. Yes. I am, I wrote this down too, because I was like, okay, my reading is Jim sings the whole time. And Andy is the one who is uh, lip syncing until they cut, which begs the question, did Andy re-sing the entire song? And then the editors of the mockumentary that we're supposedly Uh watching cut from Jim to Andy doing the chorus or did Andy like just go in and sing the chorus because it was bothering him to not hear the ending of it like it bothered me so much that they cut there I mean I like it was funny it's really funny but I was also like wait what would explain Mm -hmm. him singing the rest of the song at us at a later time yeah well I guess just because Andy is such a musician Yes. The man and wants the to sing. Let him sing, Tyler. He was acting his heart out, too. Yeah. That made me laugh. And it just does seem like a song that Andy would come up with, <laughs> not Jim. Uh, but I love that song. It took me back to, I don't know, junior high. I don't yeah. know quite what that song was. But but yeah, I, I really enjoy that song. It was a great pick. And um yeah, Karen's response was just perfect, but very mysterious. Yeah, listeners, please write in with your theories about what's going on there because I repeat watched it. It just I can't I can't get to an explanation that I'm really satisfied with. And then finally we get a very interesting and charming scene between mm-hmm. Pam and Jim. Yeah. And um I, my brief thoughts on it, I guess, are it's interesting to me that um, this is the first time they've talked. and uh, It's a surprise. She says, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. He apologizes. Sorry, I forgot Kevin's extension. It's a fantasy football thing, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting that he and Kevin are still in touch. Yeah, um, I love that. She says, oh, um, I was going to go through the system. I didn't think you'd be there. Why are you still there? Um, and I I don't know, there, there was the, the, when she says, he says, how far away did you think we were? I don't know. It felt far. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I have a question for you. What, you know, so there's this dancing on the unsaid, unsayable, like I left because of you. Hmm. Although, I mean, we, we really teases us by by never following up like they didn't have a question they didn't have a conversation like after the next day or two days later or something nonetheless Mm -hmm. the real question I really wanted to ask you is do you find it charming or irritating that he calls her Beasley hot I love it what Mm -hmm. I really like it (laughs) 
<laughs> Fancy new Beasley. Yeah, I really like it. <laughs> Go on. Explain uh, yourself. I don't know. I think it's just fun. I think it's the thing where guys call each other by their last names. And so I think that there's something just fun and charming in calling Pam Beasley. I think that I have a feeling about like nicknames. So Big Tuna, mm-hmm. for example, is annoying to me in the same way that totally different category than Beasley Tyler. Is it's not a nickname. Beasley. But why doesn't it why isn't it reversed? Like why doesn't she have one for him? Uh good question. <laughs> I don't know. I I both like, I am charmed by it, which is why I'm annoyed about it. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Do you uh, think you said, why doesn't she have one for him? Are you feeling like it's sort of a power move? Like when Dwight calls Michael Mike? <laughs> I think it's definitely, I wouldn't say aggressive in a bad way, but I think it's an assertion. It's mm-hmm. an assertion of intimacy and um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's partly why it's sexy. Or mm-hmm. potentially so, you know, is like the kind of you take a risk when you do that mm. in assuming an intimacy. Um, but also there's something ironic about it. It's like, what could be more intimate than your first name? It's not your last name. You know, your last name is somebody else's name, really. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. in theory, uh, in a patriarchal culture, it tends to be like the patronym or whatever. So yeah more formal like more distanced and so there's yeah there's something really interesting then about the connection and the bond that does come from that Hmm. uh yeah did you have any thoughts on this scene before we uh wrap up just it's so interesting the caution that there is around closeness and I guess we see similar things with Dwight kind of putting himself out there a little too far and then reeling it back with Ryan just when so when Dwight at the end it's the end of the night and Ryan and Dwight walk in and so Pam is disrupted and says hey Ryan are you okay and then she says goodbye as he is walking out and Jim thinks the goodbye is to him. So there's this miscommunication and then there's them both being awkward and being like, oh yeah, I should go too. So that neither one has to say, oh yeah, I would like to keep talking to you. So there's just an interesting managing of closeness there with both I, that I think we see with Ryan and Dwight and with Pam and Jim. I love that. I love that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that parallel. It's also interesting how they flirt, you know, or like, I don't even know if it's, I mean, I think it is flirting, but it's also more than that or less than that. It's, it's just conversation, but it, there's a yeah banter. A, yeah. banter. That's it. Banter. Yeah. It's really interesting. It is. Yeah. But so, you know, it's about, she watched the wrong movie so there's this kind of like, you know, it's it's like a it making it's self-deprecating, right? Like, and with him, it's like bad at typing, you know, not as fast. And yeah, I don't know. There's something about the way that the self-deprecation and then the teasing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. I think teasing well, is, really is so interesting because it's like you can't do it with just anybody. Like there really is, and not that it, hmm, because it's not that it has to be romantic, right? And that's where it's it's different than flirtation, but in some ways in a similar category because there is a specialness to it or there is a thing where like you can't nobody can do it with just anybody I don't think like there's a thing about people who are good at banter and there seems to be a kind of coupling if that makes sense where it's like there's someone who is your pair in a way and not that you're necessarily limited to one person or something but that it is about the pair I guess it's making me think back to his thing about the pair of Marys like you have a you have a kind of back and forth yeah. with each other that is unique to Pam and Jim. Well, any final thoughts before we jump to Dundies? Only that I think I need you to go first on the Dundies. Because... Oh, this is an easy one for me. Um, also, I have decided uh, to make a proposal. Okay. Which is, if we're placing all of our segments in a space in the world of the office when we go to the dundies at the end of each episode are we going to chili's we're going to chili's yes yes all right <laughs> brilliant i love it yes. okay okay so yes. uh Tyler. <laughs> i am giving the mentorship award award to dwight schrute oh mentorship award i love it and uh i i don't know i just thought you know, I don't know. I kind of struggled to pick somebody for this episode. I don't have like a special argument for Dwight, but you know, I don't know. I liked his vulnerability around. He wants a friend. He wants not to have the conflict with Jim. He wants, yeah, he's a tool. He wants to be in charge and, and like authoritative or whatever. But he also does arrive at a place where he's able to have some emotional solidarity. Mm -hmm. And I love that line about failure. So yeah. 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 Mentorship yeah. award. Good award. I'm going to give the Simple Pleasures Award to Stanley. Ah, yes. Because I feel like Stanley is a really obvious one, but it's a really good Stanley episode. And just watching his happiness when he's in line, the kind of childlike joy of Stanley comes out on Pretzel Day. And it's really sweet and kind of touching. And I like the bond that he has with Michael in this episode, too. Fabulous. So it's Stanley. Well, it looks like next episode, uh, season three, episode six is called Diwali. Yes. So that'll be interesting. And I'm outside the office again. What'd you say? We're getting outside of the office again. Oh, those are always very interesting episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. Well, it's thanks everybody. For... Hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.